You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Got it. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. Part of the Miami Dolphins podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, it is midweek, and that means we turn the page to the Detroit Lions. We'll do that with head coach Mike McDaniel and quarterback Tua Tungavailoa at the podium at their Wednesday media availabilities, plus five big picture things, I think, including some sound from Hall of Famer Larry Sanka. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. So these big picture thoughts and takeaways podcasts get a little bit easier the more the sample size builds for us here over the course of the season. And I'm really enjoying it as an ever so slight departure from your typical daily topical podcast Because it gives me a chance to step back a little bit and think about just that, the big picture. Let's go ahead and get first to the first part, I should say, of the five things I think through seven weeks. And number one thing I think is that the offense is really, really close. And I want to make this twofold, one with the passing game and one with the run game. And I think the best way to mention the run game is to go to a Hall of Famer who just a few days after the 50th anniversary celebration of the undefeated season, and a few days before that, I should say, we had Larry Sanka on the Twitter space with me, Seth, and OJ from the Fish Tank Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, on our weekly Wednesday Twitter spaces, and Sank had all kinds of knowledge for us. First of all, if you have not heard it, it's recorded up on my Twitter timeline. You're going to have to scroll through a bunch of tweets to find it, but it was last Wednesday. Go check that out, and you'll hear some great stories from Sank about the 72 team, about modern football, about how they watch these undefeated teams make their runs late into the season together and have fun. Like There was so much cool stuff. The best part of the entire thing to me was the fans we had ask him questions and just hearing the excitement and their voices and the reaction on Twitter was freaking awesome. But you guys know that I had to ask Song, hey, let's talk about the current team. Uh, Tell me what you see in this running game. Here's the legend. It shows signs, not necessarily signs of brute style, third and one smash you in the face kind of, not that. But it shows signs of communication between the linemen backfield. In other words, the guy that's carrying the ball understands what his offensive line, how they're going to attack. He understands the calls that are made in the millisecond between the time the ball is about to be snapped and he arrives at the scene. In other words, he understands what they're going to do, and he isn't going to collide with his offensive lineman. He's going to fit into the gap, however small it is, or, or know where the hole is going to be if there is a hole. That kind of understanding and communication – 
starts to show up. When you see that in a game, most fans don't see that from up on the 40-yard line. It's, right. Don't have the angle, and you have to look for it on the replay, and they don't get that. But they do understand when a guy throws it, a guy catches it. But the inter- intricate parts of the running game that don't see unless you're an ex-player watching it, you know, I, I feel good about it because I'm starting to see some of that communication between the guy carrying the ball on a short yardage situation and his offensive lineman. He's not running into them. He's running into the gap in between them. And it starts to show that there's some communication, that there's been some discipline on that. There's been talk about it. They've studied it, and they're starting to understand. That offensive back has a responsibility to know how his men in front of him, his linemen in front of him, are going to block that play. And if he knows it as fast as they know it, or perhaps even faster, it makes a difference at the point of impact. And I mean, didn't Sonk kind of call his shot there? Our second best yardage output in the run game this season. We averaged 4.11 yards a clip. Raheem was just under five yards a clip. And according to Pro Football Focus, it was our most yards before contact, which again speaks to what Sonka said about guys hitting the holes with conviction. It was our second most 10 plus yard runs in a game this season and the second most first downs we achieved via the ground game this season. Then there's the passing game, which we used Mike McDaniel's audio for on Tuesday as he kind of told us where he thinks some things can be tweaked and fine-tuned. But from a statistical standpoint, I think the proof comes from the offense in general through the yards per play aspect. And watching the game back on Sunday, you know, it feels like every second or third play is like a 15-plus yard gain, doesn't it? Like, go watch the broadcast again. It felt like the Dolphins just went up and down the field And, you know, I watch the game live, I see the tape on the All-22, then I watch the broadcast later in the week, and I think that if you remove the scoreboard from watching the game, you would have thought to yourself, man, Miami's probably winning this game by a lot of points right now. And, of course, we know better than that, and we also know better than to say that anything besides the scoreboard matters, but for the sake of evaluation and trying to project future outcomes, which is what we like doing here, or what, you know, all analysis is, is trying to project what might happen in the future, and also trying to see what you do well, what's working, what you can count on as team identities and strengths. To me, the ability to chew up yardage and chunk yardage at a high clip, it's there. It's why your quarterback is number one right now in yards per pass in the NFL. And then you see the outside zone run really, really getting better each and every week. And off of that, man, things can become even more difficult to deal with for opposing defenses. You're already seeing defenses play this offense with the most respect in the league in terms of speed and the coverage to protect against that speed. Only the Buffalo Bills have faced a higher rate of two high pre-snap looks. That's two safeties high in the structure. The league average of two high looks this year on first and second downs is 34.2%. That's way up from previous years. For Miami, 236 of the 424 plays on offense have come against two high looks. That is 56%, 22% over the average. It's amazing what happens when you have two elite 4-3 speed receivers. As a result, that opens up the middle of the field. It's a big reason why Miami right now has 100 plays of 10-plus yards. One-fourth of our plays go for 10-plus. Think about that. Tied for third in the NFL. They've also got 30 plays of 20-plus yards. That's tied for seventh most. And when you really pare it down, the 26 completions of 20-plus are third most behind the Chiefs and Patriots. It's kind of an interesting uh, shoehorn there. And the Bills have one less at 26. So Miami has more 20-plus yard completions than the Buffalo Bills, but they've played one less game. I digress. 
And then the three pass plays of 50 plus yards for your Miami Dolphins is tied for third most in the NFL. Four is the league lead. So you're one away from having a share of the league lead. And the vast majority of those are those intermediate to deep shots. Like, you know, usually intermediate means 10 to 19 yards deep is 20 plus, but that 15 to 25 yard range, the throw to, uh, to Sherfield, a lot of those throws to Tyreek and Waddle, their speed is helping create space in the middle of the football field, especially when you get your ground game cranking in the way that Miami had it working on Sunday night with those seven, eight, 12 yard chunks. I mean, pretty much felt like the run game was either eight yards or like a loss in that game, which is why I thought the average kind of dipped down below what the actual production was, because not only do you remove the safeties from dropping down with that run game, but you then widen the backers and create more space and force the defense to defend more blades of grass. And we discussed that on Tuesday, right? Like how Tua's ability to look backers off and use his eyes and shoulders and hips and feet and body position to clear those windows and clear space for himself. And the run game does the exact same thing when you can successfully hit those runs off tackle like we routinely did running behind Armstead and Shell in that game on Sunday. So I think the offense has shown it's pretty adept at creating those chunk gains already. And then you look at red zone and goal to go efficiency, currently fifth in the NFL with a 65% red zone efficiency mark in scoring touchdowns and currently third on goal to go efficiency at 88.9%. That's been a superpower of Tua Tungavailoa's in his career. And man, when we get the ball into the 10 yard line, we pretty much knock it in for a touchdown. That's been the case for Tua going back to his rookie season. So you ask, well, why the hell are we not scoring more points? Why are we 19th in the NFL in points? That's the part that is up to the coaching staff to figure out and for the players to get corrected on the field. My entire point is I think we have the right people to make it happen. And if you want to look at historically, while the Dolphins rank 19th in points per game, their 6.1 yards per play is tied for fourth right now in the NFL. Actually, it's sixth because the fractions, but if you look at pro football reference, 6.1, they, they round up around down is tied for fourth. So it's a top five yards per play offense of the other four teams rounding up the top five in offensive efficiency. Miami's points per game mark is the biggest outlier. 21 points per game is four points per contest shy of the saints who also average 6.1 points per game. Think about that over seven games, four points per game. That's 28 points. That's four touchdowns. Seattle is third with 6.3 yards per play, and they average 26.1 per game. And then the top two offenses, Kansas City and Buffalo, both average 30 points per game between those two sides, or give or take. Uh, Buffalo's, I think, at 29.8, and KC is like 30.4. So, it's, yeah, I, I took some liberties there in, uh, in assuming and rounding. All of this is to say that historically, the points typically catch up to the yards per play metric. The last team to finish in the top five in yards per play and average fewer than 25 points per game, you have to go back to 2018 and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And they were only at 24 points per game. So Miami's still a ways off from that. It's up to the Dolphins to clean up the miscues and execute in those critical situations. But the ability to move the ball is clearly present and something has to give on this stat. I think it'll be the points catching up to the yards per play and not vice versa. That's a long thing, I think, to kick it off here. Let's go ahead and do number two before the first break. Number two is a pair of in-season additions have been two of the most valuable. I think this offseason was an absolute feather in the cap of Chris Greer and the Dolphins' front office. I mean, Armstead's been tremendous. Tyreek leads the league in catches and receiving yards. Connor Williams has been, for my money, if not the very best center, one of the top three centers in the NFL. Raheem Mostert is really getting rolling right now at 4.5 yards a rush. Melvin Ingram 
one defensive player of September. What else? Keon Crossan stepped in and gave you a lot of good reps at corner when he was healthy. Not to mention the impact of a UDFA like Cater Kohu. Uh, Alec Ingold is a key cog on offense. Trent Sherfield makes a big play every week. A great blocker outside. Thomas Morstead has been great at flipping the field. Am I forgetting any? Like It's been guy after guy that we've brought in here, and, and he's had a big impact. But how about Brandon Shell? And Justin Bethel. First with Bethel, his value was already incredibly apparent on special teams, beating the jammers, getting downfield to down those punts or wrap up return men before they can even get going. But then for him to step in on defense and play such a damn good game last week after a really good showing and a smaller sample size against the Vikings the Sunday prior. I mean, this guy's handling three-way goes from the slot all alone and picking off the pass on a slot fade, one of the toughest routes to defend in football, to the boundary, short side of the field. A guy who's fitting the run fearlessly by sticking his face right in the fan, taking on blockers, stringing out the run game, getting off blocks in the screen game and fort in the quick passing game. He's been an absolute ace and an, uh, a big-time addition on both defense and special teams, and he got here September 1st, big time. Then how about Brandon Shell? Brought in on the practice squad, gets his feet underneath him in the program and the building, gets a call up and shows out. Left tackle didn't really work out, but the right tackle position, he gives you the versatility. He's been fantastic the last two weeks at right tackle against Pittsburgh and Minnesota with just four pressures on 98 pass blocking snaps. That's just a hair under 96 for pass blocking efficiency. It's a great number for your tackle. Just one of those pressures is a QB hit too. So keeping his quarterback clean on 99% of his pass blocking snaps. Every year around the league, you'll see a couple of these. Last year, Rasul Douglas made the Pro Bowl after getting cut from the Eagles going over to the Packers. It's early, but the returns on Shell and Bethel have already been fantastic. And when you consider that they were street free agents and brought in here midseason, the fact that they impacted one game is enough. That that is that is proof in the pudding that those were valuable additions. They're already two games into this, two good games from both these guys, and they're giving you a big boost at two spots where you need it because you've had some injury issues on the offensive line and at the cornerback position. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back and finish up with the three things, I think, heading into week eight, one and two in the books, three through five coming your way next on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Back here on the Drive Time Podcast, Wednesday edition, October the 26th. Oh, shit, my birthday's coming up on Friday. I forget it every year, and this year it's even more so because I don't want to turn 35, but I digress. Number three, the third thing I think, big picture-wise, in the middle of week number eight, how many game-changing plays and big-time games can that 2021 draft class make for us? Because it feels like a lot, and it's been a while since we did this. I like taking, you know, every four games or so looking back at the off season or draft classes. And frankly, you know, you can do this the last few classes before that too. 2020 has been awesome. 2019 was a good class. Uh, tip 2018 was a fantastic class. Typically it's three years before you start to kind of make your nearly final conclusions. I don't think we should ever finalize conclusions on players ever, ever, but you have a good idea three years in. And man, I think you have to feel pretty good about what you have with your first three picks in 2021. This is shaping up those three picks to be an all-time draft class. Three players who are starting to look like not just three starters at three key positions, at three premium spots, and guys that play 50-plus snaps every single game. Guys that are starting to look like some of the best players at their respective positions in the entire NFL. Do you understand how rare that is to get one of those guys in a draft class? Much less, potentially three. 
Jalen Waddle, the sixth pick in the draft. We also got a first round pick by trading back for him, by the way. And I'm really glad they went up to get him because he is a top five receiver. He's fourth in the NFL in receiving 621 yards through seven games. That's 88.7 yards per game, which is fifth in the NFL. The same rank as his 18.3 yards per reception. His 11.5 yards per target is sixth best. His 27 first downs are eighth most, sixth most among wide receivers. And he's tied for 12th with three touchdowns. He has 270 yards after the catch. That's sixth most in the NFL. His 2.69 nice yards per route ran is fourth behind Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, and Justin Jefferson. Other guys in that top 10 of that stat, which I think is one of the best measurements of who's performing the highest year after year. Like, go look at top 10 yards per target every year. You're going to see 10 guys that you would say, oh, that might be 10 to top 10 receivers in the NFL. Well, Tyreek, Stephon Diggs, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Waddell, A.J. Brown, Cooper Cup, Amon Ross, Ape Brown, Really, really good company there. Jalen Phillips, he currently ranks 13th among edges, a PFF stat and classification for edge, although he plays all over the defense and pressures with 25 and run stops and fit with 15. So a top 13 edge player right now across the two most important stats for pass rushing and run defense. He was number 10 among outside linebackers and defensive ends and ESPN's run stop win rate entering week seven. He will enter week eight at number five at 36%. He's drawing double teams. He's rushing the edge inside, outside playing the run. He's playing coverage and his effort, man, when you get the type of effort with the athlete that he is, we all remember that pro day where he just tested like an absolute robot. It's going to be hard to not be productive. Phillips looking every bit the part of a first round pick and then some. And then you might have your best one in the top of the second round with Javon Holland. Only 11 players have more than two picks this year, so he's right there tied for 12th uh, with a bunch of other guys with interceptions. We know he was number two among all safeties last year in quarterback pressures behind only Brandon Jones. This year, he only has three pressures, but he's only come on the pass rush 11 times. Two of those produce sacks. I mean, what is that? 20% sack rate when you come on a pass rush? And he has one forced fumble that basically was, you know, every point in the Buffalo game was valuable, but that was a touchdown basically that he put on the board in that big win over Buffalo. The coverage numbers say he's been targeted eight times with four completions for 45 yards, but I think that stat, given where he plays in this defense right now, playing deep into the post almost every snap, I think this stat tells the story better. Opposing quarterbacks are throwing the ball 20 plus air yards on us this year at this clip. 11 for 28. What is that? Let me get my calculator out. Standby music. Who's got it for me? It's 39% for 417 yards. A couple of the big plays that obviously come from these deep passes. One touchdown, three picks, and a passer rating of 59.3. That's a team stat, but we say it on the film review each week. He's closing off those deep routes, timing up his post-snap rotation, and really closing off a lot of those downfield lanes. And Durham Smythe told us in camp this past summer that you can see Javon play both his role, but also expand his role on a given play and be in a position that he never should have been able to get to in the first place. That is the ultimate compliment. It's what Minka Fitzpatrick did in that game on Sunday night. It's what Ed Reed did for years with the Baltimore Ravens. Plus, his leadership, the communication of the defense. It's rare to land those traits in a player who's only played 23 career games. Javon Holland looks pretty special. That 2021 draft class looks awfully, awfully rare right now. Thing I think number four is the effort is off the charts for the Miami Dolphins. After seeing the game live, watching the tape, seeing the broadcast version, I always learn something new along the way. During the broadcast rewatch, Collinsworth talked about their conversations they had with Mike McDaniel in the pre-production meeting that broadcast teams have with each head coach each week. 
And Collinsworth mentioned a conversation about Tyreek Hill and his impact. And beyond the fact that he's the leading receiver in the NFL right now, that Coach McDaniel told Collinsworth and Mike Tirico that Tyreek really kind of taught them how to practice, how it's supposed to look. Not in terms of the schedule or structure or anything like that. McDaniel's got that covered, not even a concern, but what practice effort looks like. If I do it this way, you guys should do it that way too because I'm Tyreek Hill. We talked about that on the podcast a lot this summer. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before, the way that dude practiced. We even talked to him about it in, in pressers after practice, and he was just like, yeah, that's what I do, man. Like Those go routes over and over again, the conditioning, the way he kind of just raises the level, raises the standard, it's, it's unique. We heard from Coach on the effort of Jalen Phillips down the stretch in that game on the uh, Tuesday podcast. I saw Andrew Van Ginkle selling out to cover ground as a spy on the quarterback. I saw Zach Sealer retrace a play for a big hit down the field. We see Christian Wilkins do that almost weekly, most notably the Buffalo game. I just watch these tapes each week, and if you want to know what the Dolphins' identity is, and I think there's a lot of options. You can talk about their ability to marry up the run and the play-action game, the intermediate passing game the defense's attacking mindset, all of those are are good things. But the one thing that I know I see for sure every week on tape is effort. It's coached and it's carried out. It's awesome to see that. Thing I think number five, is the AFC East the best division? Uh It's going to be a dogfight this year. We knew Buffalo was good. The one loss they have is to us and they've beaten the Chiefs at Arrowhead, the Ravens in Baltimore, and the Rams in Los Angeles. The Pats, I think, are going to be fine. Uh, Well, you know, what is fine, but I mean, just as recently as one and three, we heard the rhetoric about the rebuild, how they're going to finish last, yada, 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 all that stuff. And all they do is go out and stomp back-to-back opponents to get back to 500. Now, the Monday night football game is a bit of a concern, obviously. They've bounced back from that type of effort time and time again over the last two decades. Well, not time and time again because they haven't faced that situation many times, but when they do, they always respond. The quarterback situation, that's the murky part that they have to get sorted out, but we know the Patriots are going to respond and play good football and be a tough out, right? And then the Jets are 5-2 and two with four straight wins somehow. Their defense is legit. Robert Sala is starting to see you know the personnel truly match his aggressive scheme that he wants to run. And my goodness, they generate a lot of pressure up front. Plus, Sauce Gardner is tremendous. DJ Reed has been really good in his own right. Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker are killer, killer losses. But I mean, they're winning these games without having to throw the football. 391 passing yards over the last three wins. If our guy did that, it would be, you know, trade for everybody else. They get to see Josh Allen, Kirk Cousins, Josh Allen, Geno Smith, and two of the rest of the way. So it's like five good quarter, like really good quarterbacks on their, on their schedule the rest of the way. You'll need more than 130 yards to beat those guys in a game. But that said, the schedule stays pretty, they got some wins on there, I think. That's why I think they can hang around 500. But sure, they've certainly, you know, kind of hit the jackpot with the early season schedule so far, getting four backup quarterbacks in a row. And then obviously, you know how I feel about our squad. You might wind up with three winning teams in this division. And frankly, it could be four. But I think somebody's going to have to fall below the 500 line simply because of beating up on one another. The Jets have an interesting three-game stretch here over the next four weeks with a bye. The Bills and the Patriots twice. We should learn a lot about the division over the next month. I'm not sure the Bills will lose a game the rest of the way. I mean, they look they looked apart. I think we can get through the first week of December personally at eight and three ahead of that tough stretch of games. We win the games we're supposed to. I think the Patriots will hover just south of 500. I think the Jets are staring reality in the face here very soon. We'll see. 
I can't wait for that week 18 game, man. Bring it back on after all that social media trash talk we saw. All right, let's go ahead and take our last break. We'll come back and hear from coach Mike McDaniel and quarterback Tua Tungavailoa. That's next on the Wednesday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. We heard from head coach Mike McDaniel and quarterback Tua Tungavailoa on Wednesday afternoon. Let's go ahead and pick it up with Mike McDaniel, who addressed... <clears throat> a few of the injury situations right now for the Miami Dolphins saying that he's optimistic about Cater Kohu, Keon Crossan, and Emmanuel Ogba, praising the fact that he knows that if they're able to go, those guys will do everything they can to get themselves into playing shape to play on Sunday. And again, optimism, the word around those guys. <clears throat> Excuse me. We heard about one other injury, Brandon Jones. We'll go ahead and play that sound for you here in just a second. But first, I want to play four straight audio clips from McDaniel's Wednesday media availability. First, talking about a subject we covered on the podcast, the yards per play and the points scored and the correlation between those two. Let's go ahead and hear from Mike McDaniel about how you can get the points to match your red zone production, your goal-to-go production, and your yards per play and explosive production. Here's Mike McDaniel. We're doing a good job um, taking advantage of some explosive opportunities. So... We are getting, which every team, every offense tries to do, and um, that's usually the hardest thing to get accomplished. Um, but, uh, you know, I think as, um, you know, that's the name of the game for good teams in this league. It's the simplest formula, um, but it happens every single year, and it seems like people miss, miss it, which is there's so many distractions that occur. Just think about it from an individual st- standpoint. Am I playing enough? Did how did I play this last game? Um, I got extra family in town. All this stuff. The teams that are good get better during the season, and it's hard to because there's so many other things that can take your mind, and you're tired. You know, it's six days a week for players, seven days a week. So all of those things. Um, when we're better at our fundamentals within. And I'm talking about every position involved in the in the run game. When we're collectively better at that, when we're better at executing our fundamentals, I think you'll start to feel um, because because there's sometimes that we'll go down and we'll be able to we won't punt for three or four series consecutively, and then then you start punting for three possessions in a row. It's because of the fundamentals are a little off. So when our game gets better. Um, you know, because I think most of those yards are are a factor of our ability to get those chunk plays. We need to um, sustain drives more, um, be better in the red zone, better at all of it, which just comes down to being better. And you, you're not given that. You earn it. Up next, as promised, he talked about Brandon Jones. I want to go ahead and just play this audio for you because he did conform, confirm that it was an ACL injury. But I just thought the approach and the way the team has kind of you know, <clears throat> sadly embraced what happened to Brandon Jones and, and the reaction to it, I should say, is really profound. Here's Coach talking about his safety and really a dang good player in Brandon Jones. Yeah, it was his ACL. Um, and, yeah, I don't, uh, not planning on for him to return this season, which, um, you know, you, you really, in situations like this, it, it's ter- I, I feel terrible, absolutely terrible for a guy that was – playing at a very, very high level. Um, the, the good news about him in particular 
is when things like this happen to people like him, um, they tend to come out um, finding a way to be better somehow, some way. But he was, you know, it was uh, today this morning watching it with the team, watching some of our game, um, putting it to bed. It was, it was, it, you could hear like the hurt with the, the team when his highlights would come on because there was a ton of them. So, um, you know, I, I do know that uh, people like him end up finding a way to be even better than they were before. Uh, but it, it's a shame because I, I don't think he'll, it's, it's hard to give the credit to what he was doing or that it deserves to what he was doing on the field um, for our group. And the whole team definitely felt that. Up next, Coach was asked about Cedric Wilson, and you might remember that he had a rib injury early on this season that I think kind of gets forgotten about, goes by the wayside a little bit. Here's Coach talking about Cedric Wilson and his role in the offense and how it's not about what he hasn't done, but what a guy like Trent Sherfield has done. Here's Mike McDaniel. No, he's progressing in the offense. There was a also a portion of the season um, that you know he got a little dinged up, um, with his ribs that he's playing through, um, and we're kind of limited in his uses there. But um, given circumstances, um, with uh, you know, it, it's less about what he hasn't done. He's do, he's getting better and better every week, and um, will continue to become um, more and more featured within our offense. But it, it, it's not about what he hasn't done, and um, more about you know, what a guy like Trent Sherfield has done, um, you know, those are things that you, you don't, you know, you don't go into a season. That's why I don't magnetize and look, stare at depth charts because that's a very fluid thing. Um, when, when you're asking players to um, sacrifice um, all that they sacrifice and when you're, uh, you know, w- when they're putting themselves on the line, they have to know that it's not only appreciated, but um, the bottom line will be whatever's on the tape that given week. Um, we'll get more opportunities to be on tape because those are the guys that are going to get the most opportunities. So um, he'll continue to progress his, his role. Um, he, I'm, I'm comfortable with where he's at in working on his game um, and uh, should expect uh, to see more from him Um you know, I'm expecting that, and I think he's expecting that um, as the season progresses. We finish up here as Coach was asked about the other receivers on the roster, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, and what has surprised Coach about what they've done so far this season in a year where they had high expectations from the coaching staff, from McDaniel, and from the outsiders looking in. How have they gone above and beyond and still surprised Coach with their performance, their production, and the way they handle themselves? Great answer here from Mike McDaniel. They're acceptance of the burden that is high expectations. Um, a lot of people feel as though it's, you know, um, it's a gift or like such a, it's so cool. What if you wanted to be a star player? Well, star players have to um, really put the most on their shoulders with their uh, uh, given preparation each week. They can't afford to have to just take a game off, um, and then when pressure situations happen, um, they have to perform. I think their commitment 
and yearning for um, wanting to be in conversations for duos and stuff that uh, all, all of those things that has been the most surprising um, on the field. And, and with that, they've also been extremely coachable. I don't think we've seen nearly the best from them um, in terms of, I don't, I don't know about numbers, but you talk about play them being able to make plays that other people can't. I don't think we've totally seen all of that even yet. Um, I think they would agree with that. Um, and that's been surprising um, because you just don't know until you know. And they are um, great athletes, but um, more than that, they're committed teammates um, and they have a lot of commitment um, uh, from a ton of people in that locker room that are doing all of the right things so that they can have that production. So um, it's, it's cool for the whole team. You will never see anybody in the sport accomplish anything alone. And with that, we move on to quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, who addressed the media on Wednesday afternoon. Starting with this tidbit about how much can being back for a second game help you shake off some of the cobwebs, some of the potential rust, and get back into that routine quicker. Here's Tua on the benefit of having a second game back now after missing some time. Yeah, I think you start to get into a rhythm again. Uh, you, know, you start to get back into how how your routine was, uh, you know, coming off of the first week to the second week and then, you know, staying in that rhythm of doing things. So I think it, it'll help a lot. Topic of the day sort of seems to be points per game compared to yards per play. Let's go ahead and hear from Tua on the disconnect between those two stats and why they're so far off right now. I think we got to finish drives. At the end of the day, we got to finish drives. Um, I mean, we can march down the field to the 10-yard line and kick field goals every time, or we can march to the 30 and kick field goals every time. But I mean, that really that that doesn't that doesn't matter if we don't you know if we're not able to finish you know and, and put put the ball in the end zone. So uh, you know, that's that's uh, something that we definitely got to hone in on and we got to get better with as far as communicating, executing, uh, and things like that. Like Coach McDaniel, too, was asked about Brandon Jones's impact as far as not being here anymore. Here's Tua on his teammate and the next, and what we learned today, his locker neighbor. Brandon has, uh, I don't know how many of you guys talked to him, but Brandon has a pretty big impact, um, you know, on, on that defense and outside of, you know, his impact on the defense. I mean, Dudes love being around this guy, um, whether it's it's been on the ping pong table or just, you know, having a chat with this guy like guys rally around around him. You know, he's, he's a really good guy. Um, he'll definitely be missed. Uh, but I mean, for me, that's that's my boy. You know, he's he's his lockers next to to mine. So, I mean, that's my guy. And, uh, you know, it sucks to see that. Um, Sucks to see him go through that, and um, his family have to go through that with him as well. Uh, but my thoughts and prayers are always with him um, and hoping that he can recover fast from this and come back stronger next year. We'll finish up with Tua discussing the pass protection the team gave him in the game on Sunday night. We talked about the moving pockets, the execution, and his job getting the ball out quick. All that stuff was shining on Sunday night. Here's Tua on his pass pro and what they did to create pockets for him in the game plan. Oh, I loved it. It was great. Um, you know, I think Mike schemed it up uh, really well 
two, only because we were getting the ball out quick and it, it was kind of hard, I, I think, for their D-line to get a feel with their rush patterns and then also uh, get a feel of where the spot was for the quarterback. So, you know, we we're moving spots in the back there and not just catching the ball and dropping back. So I, I, I thought they, they did really well. So well, in fact, that it was actually the lowest pressure rate at 8.6 in his entire NFL career, and it was the fifth fastest time to throw at 2.38 seconds for Tua on Sunday night against the Steelers. The, the way they create those pockets and manufacture pockets with the game plan to slide things, to go against the flow of play action, really, really impressive. More of a tip of the cap to the coaching staff here as we go forward. Talked about it all, all preseason, now all season the execution of the blocking, the quarterback that gets the ball in his hands quickly, and the game plan to create those pockets have all been much better this year for this Miami Dolphins front. Let's go ahead and call it a podcast right there. We'll come back with you guys on Thursday for the preview podcast. Plenty of work going into that one, watching some Lions games, looking at the stats, looking at the tape, all that fun stuff. We'll have that for you on Thursday. And then Friday, our crossover, our opponent perspective podcast. We'll have that for you guys on Friday. A little bit low energy. If you can't tell, I'm not really feeling the best right now. Uh, Sunday night football really takes away sleep, and then Caroline takes away sleep as well. So I'm, I'm pushing to get through, but uh, we'll go ahead and do that. We'll go ahead and call it a podcast right here. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice, our post-game show on 560 WQAM. That's after every single Miami Dolphins game. Our international podcast network and, of course, our Twitter spaces every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. That is tonight, of course. Check out the team YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, Fish Tank, and Drive Time content. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy has more work to do, but after that, I'm coming home.